0: Welcome to the Bayside Church Weekly Message audio podcast, Frankston. This morning I'm preaching on Moses and, and the, the title, if, if you're taking notes, is Moses Don't Make Excuses. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, Moses, don't make excuses. Why don't you reply to that person and say, my name is not Moses. Genesis chapter 50, we're going to start in verse 22. Maybe there is a Moses here this morning, but anyway, verse 22 says, So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. Go down to verse 24, it says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. I don't know if you know much about this guy, Joseph. I'm not going to tell you too much about him, but when he was a young man, he had a dream from God to do something great. And much of his life, the Bible tells a lot of his story in Genesis, was hardship. And he went through some pretty, uh, pretty intense stuff. But towards, or when he was 30 years old, God raises him up and he becomes this great leader in Egypt. And God uses, uses Joseph in the midst of a famine to feed thousands of people and literally save people's lives because the famine was that extreme. And so all Israel had come into Egypt because of this famine. And Joseph was used by God to feed people in the midst of this famine. But here we've just read that Joseph is at the end of his life. And he says to the sons of Israel, he makes them swear. He says, God will visit you. Speaking of Egypt, where he is at the moment, God will come here. He will surely visit you. And he makes them swear that they will carry his bones To the promised land when God comes to visit them. What you have to understand is Joseph, when he he gathers these sons of Israel and says, Make sure you take my bones with you. He's making a prophetic statement that would occur over 300 years later. The exodus wouldn't occur uh, until 300 years after he makes this statement. But Joseph is so sure that the promise God made to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob was going to happen that he says to these guys, hey, when it happens, you need to take my bones with you. Which is a bit of a weird thing, because I don't really think about what I'm going to do with my bones much when I die. I don't know if you think about that much. Um, I think about them a little bit while I'm alive, make sure my calcium's up, have a piece of cheese each day, a uh, glass of milk. Um, but I don't think about my bones much. Maybe you think about it when you're older. What am I gonna do with my bones? But here's Joseph, and he's he's saying, I want you to take my bones with you when you go to the promised land. And it's fascinating because here is this guy who was so consumed with the promise of God, and he saw a greater day that he wanted to make sure even when he was dead even when he had left the earth, that his remains ended up where the people of God were in the promised land. How about you? Do you have a vision for your life? Do you see a greater day ahead? Joseph, God had given Joseph the ability to see a greater day, not just for himself, but for the people of God and he was so consumed by this that he said, When I die, make sure my bones are where the people of God are in the promised land. Recently, I was, I was doing a job. Uh, for those who don't know, I do landscape gardening. And I was doing a job uh, with a friend from church. Uh, his name's Marco. Some of you might know him. He's, he's one of the young adults. And uh, he, we were just installing some synthetic turf, just the, the fake stuff. And. Uh, on one of the days, uh, Marco got into a discussion with the client uh, who we're doing the job for, or, or one of them. It's a married couple. And uh, she was asking him also, what do you do? And Marco was explaining, "He's a uni student, that sort of thing. And, and they both realized that Marco goes to Melbourne Uni and her and her husband had gone to Melbourne Uni. And so they were talking about, oh, how, how good was it? How good's Melbourne Uni? And I kind of just never went to uni, so I'm just kind of... Installing the turf over here. This, hey, I'm I'm smart too, guys. <laughs> um, but anyway, they're talking, and, uh, and and just in conversation, she kind of she kind of says, um, "Oh yeah, my husband and I, we often we often talk about our uni days as our best days." And she kept talking, and and and, and I just thought about that statement. It stood out to me when she said, "My uni days were my best days." She probably didn't think a lot about that statement, but I guess the inference would be that if those were her best days, she wasn't living in her best days now. And I began to think about that and think about, well, well what are our best days? Because I think for a lot of people, this couple they are probably, I would say in their forties had three young kids, their eldest daughter would probably be twelve, maybe a young teenager. And I started to think, what are our best days? Are our best days when we're single, when we don't really have much responsibility? Maybe we got the uni life, big holidays, sleeping, don't have the commitment of a full-time job or a mortgage or the bills coming in or the kids screaming or all these different things. It got me thinking, what are our best days? Are our best days, will we look back on the days when we were single or maybe dating before all the responsibilities and the commitments came along? Will we look back in our lives and go, they were our best days? What fascinates me with Joseph is that he's 110 years old and he gets the sons of Israel around him and he says, when I die, take my bones with you to the promised land. What fascinates me is that at the end of Joseph's life, he's not looking backwards, he's looking forwards. How much of our lives can we look back? We think, oh man, I remember when I was single, I was such a stud. <laughs> we can look back and, and think, think about our lives, you know, we think, oh, it was so good then. And... and Here's Joseph, though, and he's thinking about the future. He's thinking about the promises of God. He's thinking about what God has got for the people of God, even when he's about to die. And I believe God wants the same for us, that he doesn't want us to be looking backwards. He wants us to have an encounter with him that would cause us to look forwards, that we would have such a a, a vision for our life of what God has for the people of God and for ourselves, that we would look forward. That's what God wants for our life. God comes to Moses when he's 80 years old. This is in Exodus. We're in Exodus now. God comes to Moses in Exodus 3, and he's 80 years old. And Moses isn't as excited about the promise of God as Joseph was. Moses isn't making any statements about his bones. He's not that excited But what what is happening here, God has come to Moses and the very thing that Joseph prophesied about, the Exodus, it's now about to happen. And God comes to Moses and Moses gives five excuses why he's not the right person. What you have to understand about Moses is he's gone through some stuff. You see, 40 years prior to this encounter when God comes and says, now it's time to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, to take them into the promised land. Forty years before that, Moses already had that in his heart to do. And he tried doing it and it didn't work. And so here in Exodus 3, in verse 2, it says that God appears to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush Moses looks and behold, the bush is burning, but it wasn't consumed. Moses walks over because he, he's, he's wondering, what, what's the deal with this bush? that's it's, it's, He sees a fire, it's burning, but it's, it's not consumed. He goes over and God begins to speak to him. And I believe in that moment when God begins to speak to Moses and, and to say to Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. I've seen the Israelites in Egypt, I've seen the oppression, I've seen the slavery, I've heard their cry and now I'm going to answer. I believe that as this encounter is unfolding and Moses sees the fire, he starts to remember back to when he was a younger man. He remembers, he remembers the day when he grew up in the palace You see, what you have to understand with Moses was he was a Hebrew, but through various circumstances, when he reached a certain age, he, he got adopted into the palace by Pharaoh's daughter. And so Moses grew up in the palace, but there came a point where Moses remembered his true identity. He remembered who he was. And he chose to leave the wealth of the palace, he chose to leave the affluence, that kind of lifestyle, rather to be with the people of God, even though they were being oppressed. And so I believe as this whole encounter is going down, Moses is remembering all that stuff, he's remembering the day when he, when he decided, I'm not going to be known as Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh, um, Pharaoh's daughter's son, I'm not going to be known for my royalty, I'm going to be known... Uh, for for being with the people of God and standing with them. He remembers the day when he said, I'm leaving the palace. He remembers the day when he went out and he thought, I'm going to set my people free. And he remembers seeing an Egyptian beating one of his own people. And the Hebrew word there for beating can also be the word killing. And so he remembers seeing this Egyptian guy killing one of his own people. And so if you know the story... Moses ends up killing the Egyptian and he thinks, you know what, I'm, uh, I'm protecting, I'm saving my people. Moses has just saved a life. He's saved one of his own people. The next day, he, he comes out, Moses, uh, to see how his people are doing and, and, and he sees two of his own people fighting with each other. He says, what, why are you guys fighting? And then they say to him, Moses, who has made you ruler and prince over us? Are you going to do to us like you did to the Egyptian? And in that moment, Moses freaks out. And he has this moment where he realizes that now Pharaoh wants to kill him because he's killed an Egyptian. And so he's rejected from the palace. But now his own Hebrew people have rejected him. So the palace has rejected him. His own people have rejected him. And so he has no choice but to flee. And so in this whole encounter with God in Exodus 3, when, when the, God is in the fire, I believe Moses is just remembering all this stuff that went down when he had a heart to set his people free, but it just all went wrong. And he probably had just put it in his past. He'd spent the next 40 years being a shepherd. He'd got married. He'd had a kid. He'd moved on. But right in this moment, God comes to him again. And the very call that he thought, oh, that was, that's over, I've put it in my past. Now God begins to reignite something in the heart of Moses. And Moses will have to work through his fears. He's going to have to work through his rejection of man. The things that he once tried, God is now saying, Moses, try again. Try again. You see, sometimes when we think We're ready, we're not. And sometimes when we're not ready, we actually are ready. And so Moses comes up with five excuses why he's not the right man for the job. And you know, there once was a day where Moses saw the oppression of the people and the cry of the people, and that was enough to get him to move to action. But because of his failure, because of his past... The oppression of his people. It's almost not enough in this moment as Moses comes up with these five excuses. And you can find these excuses in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4. And it starts in Exodus 3, verse 10. And Moses says, I'm a nobody, God. How are you going to use me to deliver this people out from the oppression of the Egyptians? Because I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. You might say, well, Aaron, that's fine for you, you know, God calling you, uh, you know, that's cool. But you don't know me. You don't know my story, my journey, the things I've walked through. Maybe you relate to Moses when, when God asks you to do something that you feel is bigger than yourself. And here is Moses saying, I'm a nobody. But for every excuse, God is gracious and patient and gives Moses a promise. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. God gives Moses the promise of his presence. Moses says, Well, who are you, God? What is your name? What, what will I say your name is? And God gives Moses the promise of his authority. He said, God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am, has sent you. Moses says, They won't believe me. God gives Moses the promise of his power and the ability to perform miracles. Moses said, I can't speak. And God gives Moses the promise of enablement and says, I will be with your mouth. Moses says, send someone else, God. And God gives Moses the promise of partnership with Aaron, his brother. Moses is out of excuses. How about you? How about you? When God comes to you, I think deep down Moses, even though he was afraid, he hadn't forgot what he had saw. He hadn't forgot that even though he'd made mistakes, he'd actually saved a life. And I know sometimes in my life when things are hard or it seems like the things God has said or promised are far off, there is still a memory of times where, where something has happened, where God has used me or, or where where I've remembered why I do what I do. And I think Moses still remembers the oppression that he saw. He still remembers the fact that if he hadn't stepped in, then his own, his own person, his own Hebrew fellow Hebrew would have died. He remembers that. And deep down he hasn't forgotten the call and he hasn't forgotten the cry. You see, God responds to the cry of Israel and He responds to the cry of the broken. And God wants to use you. He wants to use me despite our inabilities and inadequacies. He wants to use us to respond to the cry of a community that perhaps you don't necessarily hear. Moses couldn't really hear it. He couldn't hear the cry because he'd moved on. He was comfortable now. But God heard the cry and remembered Moses of the cry. So in 2015, I believe in that God's going to do something significant in Bayside Church, but especially here at Frankston. I believe He's going to call you to step up in some way. And I don't know what that will look like for you. For some of you, maybe this message is just confirmation because you've already stepped up. You've already said, sign me up. I mean, God's already spoken to you. But for others, you know that you need to make a decision to I don't know what it is. Make a a commitment to a connect group. Make a commitment to doing life with people or being in church or, or being vulnerable and accountable so that you're not trying to do the journey on your own. Maybe you need to apply for that job that you're afraid to apply for and step out of what is comfortable. Maybe you need to ask that girl out on that date or that guy, for that matter. Maybe you need to develop your gifts. Maybe you're not being faithful with what God's given you. Maybe if someone asks you to step up, you need to step up. What is God calling you to this year? What is God calling you to in 2015? Just recently, I'm going to wrap up soon, but recently I was praying with a friend and uh, it, was, it was really cool because, to be honest, I hadn't really uh, organised a time of, of prayer with some mates for a little while, but, you know, God just, He comes. I mean, we know that, but we still, I don't know, sometimes we just don't do it, but this time of prayer was so powerful, and we were just praying, and we started off, and it wasn't really, you know, I hadn't sort of, I felt like I hadn't prayed in a while. It was, you know, my prayers were all right, but I was warming up, and, and we'll get in there, and, and we had worship music on, and, and God's presence was there, and it got to this point where I felt to pray something for my friend and I just felt the presence of God in that room as I started to pray and and I almost felt emotion welling up like I was about to cry and he just started to weep as I began to speak over him what God had called him to do and he knew it in his heart but it hadn't been verbalized over him he knew it but at the same time he felt so inadequate because he knew that it it would expose his weakness. It would expose his weakness. You see, there's this balance in in the call of God where where you find your flow, you find your favor, and it, it, it fits, but at the same time, it kind of also exposes weaknesses where you have to rely on God. Moses had to rely on God And he had to rely on the promises of God. The fact was that Moses was speaking irrationally because of fear, because of his past, because of failure. When Moses said, I can't speak God, in Acts 7.22, it says that Moses was actually trained in all the wisdom of Egypt, and he was powerful in speech and action. Moses grew up in the palace. He was trained in all the wisdom of the palace. He had the best of the best. He was powerful in speech and action. But in this moment where God appears to him, his past, his failures, everything had clouded who he knew he really was. I believe in 2015, God wants to give you the ability to see a greater day for the people of God like Joseph did. Joseph saw this day 300 years prior. He saw the exodus. He saw God taking the people to the promised land. And God wants to give us the ability to see like Joseph did. Sometimes I notice people when they come to church that there's not much energy, there's not much hope because they don't have a vision. They don't see anything for the future. But I'm believing that as you have an encounter with God, he will give you a picture of the future of the church, the future of the people of God, that a dream from God will always be bigger than yourself. Joseph started out as a young man with a dream in his heart to be a leader. He didn't realize he'd be feeding and saving lives in the midst of an incredible famine. The dream was always bigger than him. It was always about people. And I believe that God wants to have an encounter with you so that you can have something in your heart. My prayer is that when you get to the end of your life you won't find yourself looking back saying, oh remember those days they were my best days, but at the end of your life you will find that the promise of God is in your heart and you will tell your kids and your grandkids about the promises of God. Like Joseph, he was so consumed with making sure that when he died, his bones went to where God had promised the people of God. I believe in 2015, God wants you to look forward and not back. Despite your past, your inadequacies, your your failures, despite what you've done, Moses had made great mistakes and yet God came to him. There is a greater life for you if you will believe that your best days are ahead. God heard the cry of the broken and the oppressed and He still hears that cry and He wants to use His church, which is you and me, to respond to that. It doesn't always look glamorous. It doesn't always look like, like Moses walking through the Red Sea. Sometimes it's really small, mundane, unseen tasks that help God build His kingdom. But may the promise of God be greater in your heart in 2015 than your own fears and failures. Like God said to Moses, I will be with you. I will be with you, let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed listening to this weekly message audio podcast. If you'd like to listen to more messages and find out more information, check out our website at www.baysidechurch.com.au. Church has changed. Check it out.